Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everybody. Go to strengthguild.com, S-T-R-E-N-G-T-H-G-U-I-L-D.com. Scroll down to the Iron Radio Collections, and we've got new shirts and new banners for you to support the show. Everything from just a regular banner, regular shirt, to ones with sayings on them, like Lonnie's Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree shirt. And some news for you, we're going to have some contests for people who own these shirts and things. So if you support the show, we'll let you more on that later. So if you get in on these early, you can be one of the first people to win some prizes. So, thank you very much. Go check out the site, strengthguild.com. Scroll down to Iron Radio Collections and support the show. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and sports nutrition professor of about 20 years, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. Hey, this is Phil Stevens. I run Strength Guild. I'm a powerlifter, Highland Games athlete, getting ready for the NLV meet that we're promoting. So, it's a yeah. good time. Well, hey, let's talk about that. I mean, um, any developments yeah. or... No, we got a few more uh, numerous signups. So we got athletes coming from as far away as Canada so far, and um, we had several more sponsors come on board. So that's the big one: is just pushing and just getting the word out. Is really all that we're at now. Okay. Just getting people to show up. So yep. uh, should be a big day. We're blocking off like six city blocks. So how do they? Um, I don't want to make this sound like an ad. Everybody, we did not plan this at all. I'm just being transparent. But so, how do people find out? Like, if they're like, I'm a Highland Games guy, or something there for me, you know, like, where do they go for info? Windlersnovmeet.com. Okay. And then if you go to, if you click on the 2020 meet, it shows you there's the Highland Games sign up, the Strongman sign up, the NOV meet sign up, and spectator tickets. Okay. All of it there in one spot. So, yeah, should be a good time. And you said it's um, mid June. When was it again? June thirteenth. Okay. Yep. Other than that, man, there's not a lot going on. Getting ready for the Arnold. It's coming right up. I got my hotel booked. Yep. So. Yeah, everybody. Down there. Yeah, we've got some plans. You know, um, we'll be down there walking around. Maybe we'll see you in Iron Radio shirt and toss you a gift yep. or something like that. Do a little contest. Yep. Yeah. There you go. So. Okay. Yep. Other than that, we got breaking news. I just saw this last night. The uh, the Mr. Olympia competition sold. That and uh, Muscle and Fitness. He bought both of them. So, hmm. I, I, a gentleman named Jake Woods, the promoter of Wings of Strength, uh, he says he's an Arizona-based fitness fitness industry insider. Has required the rights to the biggest bodybuilding brand in the world, um, as well as the acquisition of Muscle and Fitness. And uh, his primary motivation for acquiring the Olympia is to bring the event back to the fans. It's a dream come true to take ownership of some of the fitness industry's most celebrated brands. You know, so I don't know. We'll see what he can do with it. It's been kind of on its way down for a little while. That's my uh, thought too. Yeah, what's he going to do? Know? What's he going to do with it? Right. Yeah. Both so, of them. The magazine too. It. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So from what I hear, it's just going. There's going to be no longer any hard copy. It's going to be just online, but uh, mm. yeah, 
so we'll see. We'll see what can happen to the Olympia. So. All right. Well, let me ask you, old man. So my bias is that when things go completely online, they sometimes if they ha- earlier had a print copy, the online move slightly at least suggests that it's circling the drain. But is that just me being old? Because you know, or do no, you think? I say that. <laughs> It's, it's no, inevitable, it's, right? It's, inevitable to yeah. move online. Yeah. Right? I yeah. Mean, so, and today it's just, hell, I don't know how magazines stay alive, but. Right. Well, yeah, electrons are free, more or less, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and that's coming from, I would rather have a hard copy, personally, but yeah, you know, we're right. in the minority nowadays. Well, that's so. what I mean, and, and that's me. That's why I'm, I'm, you know, checking with other people, because my bias is whether it's a scientific journal or something like a muscle mag, when it goes completely online, it almost suggests that either the resources aren't there to print it anymore, you know, the money's gone or something like that. But then again, to your point, it's just everything's moving online. So mm-hmm. maybe that's just me being old, and I, I, I'm willing to admit that, you know. Yeah. So. But yes, like you, I, I want something on my coffee table so I can because yeah. it's a reminder. It's a visual reminder. Oh, hey, I'll leave through this as opposed to having to sit down and decide to come up on my own, you know, myself yeah. with, hey, I'm going to go browse around for the, the muscle and fitness online thing. Yeah. You know, anyway. OK, well, uh, I have a little bit of uh, nutrition kinds of news. Uh, but before I do, everybody, the topic for today is going to be communicating with your physician. So uh, this was obviously a recent tip that we got, and it's a good one. And before it goes cold, we just wanted to talk about it. So we're going to talk about 10 temporary or purposeful oddities um, that you might want to discuss with your doctor if you're a bodybuilder or a powerlifter before she or he decides that you're, you know, (laughs) on your deathbed (laughs) or something. Um, So, yeah, well, communicating with your physician is going to be the the topic uh, today. Uh, let me turn to some of this uh, news. Strength and muscle sport news. This first one's very brief because I think listeners already know, and but because this is my field, I it caught my eye. This is from Marilyn uh, Cornelis, um, the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition, so the premier journal. The title is "Coffee and Type Two Diabetes: Time to Consider Alternative Mechanisms." So. Uh, they looked at more than 25 cohort studies across the U.S., Asia, uh, Europe, all over, really. And they looked at the relationship between type 2 diabetes and coffee consumption. And they provided some numbers in this new study. Each additional cup of regular or decaf coffee consumed per day is associated with a 9 and 6% respectively drop in type 2 diabetes risk. So the regular coffee actually reducing diabetes risk a bit more than the decaf. And that's interesting um, because I think decaf in a way is sort of like pre-brewed, even if it's just sort of rinsed with water, you know, and and then they try to remove the caffeine and put everything else back. But I don't think they can perfectly do that, right? So you end up with a loss of some of the antioxidant, maybe the, you know, chlorogenic acid, the phytochemicals. Um, Yeah, but 9% drop for each cup of regular and 6% drop for each cup of decaf. And the interesting thing to me is that acutely, that's often reversed, whereas the the caffeinated coffee might actually not be as good because the caffeine stimulates your adrenal glands, right? And you get in this little bit of fight or flight kind of stimulation phase. 
and that would actually raise your blood sugar. So acutely, it might look a little different, but chronically, mm. the real coffee is working better. Um, and to me, I, I just it's hard for me to bring myself to drink straight decaf. Um, but it says the consistency is remarkable considering a cup of coffee, the definition, can uh, vary so much, right? So, you know, do you put milk in it? Do you not? Is there sweetener in it? Is yeah. it not? Is it robusta? Is it Arabico? You, you get the idea. Yeah. But, yeah, so, I mean, uh, to me, it's, again, thinking from the bodybuilder and powerlifter perspective, it's just a better pre-workout, right? Because if you chronically just live on Monster and um, pills and powders, it's going to screw. It's going to screw with your carb handling, and the coffee over time is going to help. And that's the, some of the stuff that we just submitted to present in Seattle, actually, uh, end of May, which is even in young people, it seems to be helping because a lot of the data are on, you know, middle-aged pot-bellied guys that could use a little help. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. yeah, even the younger active people, uh, it seems to be helping some. I wasn't convinced that would happen, and that's why we, we researched it, right, because it, people are so young and fit. They've got more muscle mass and better glucose disposal. Can we boost even these young paragons of virtue, you know? And, and yeah, it looks like probably. So that's pretty cool. Uh, next, uh, dietary fat gets personal. This is from the Institute of Food Technologists. Listeners might be interested. If you've done any of this sort of like 23andMe or different genetic tests or, um, you know, you wonder about the dietary guidelines like, oh, set fat and heart disease, that's BS. You know, I've heard that from bodybuilders and stuff. And, you know, people like on carnivore or low carb, they're going to be like, that's all relative you know, if you're not eating all the carbs, it's not nearly as damaging. And so anyway, those general guidelines, like don't eat saturated fat or don't consume extra salt, you know, sometimes it affects some people more than others. So that's why they're talking about this dietary fat thing. Does fat affect people differently? So it says a growing number of consumers believe that standardized nutrition advice is too broad. Uh, A new study in the Journal of Nutritional Biochemistry provides some credibility to the concept of personal, personalized nutrition. And of course, dietitians have done this for decades, right? That's why we do a workup on someone, you know, from um, their medical history, drug history, you know, meaning medicines, of course, um, all the different kinds of things, food preferences. uh, There's just so many different things that go into an assessment, uh, habits. Anyway, They say basically despite the dietary guidelines, Americans have become heavier and increased their risk of various chronic diseases. So consumers are uh, believing now that standardized nutrition advice is just, you know, it's not effective. It's too broad. Um, So it says a recent study published in the Journal of Nutritional Biochemistry uh, from people at UC Davis and the U.S. Department of Agriculture, uh, they looked at human subjects to determine how their bodies would respond to a high-fat meal. Uh, in particular, they're looking at the inflammatory response, right? So does this fatty meal uh, really trigger inflammation some people more than others? And, of course, inflammation is a common mechanism of a lot of diseases, from diabetes to heart disease to obesity. Um, so it says they gave them a meal equivalent to a hamburger, fries, and ice cream shake. So pretty typical yeah. junky American fare. The inflammatory response to the high-fat meal was distinct. None of the subjects, there were 20 participants, none of them exhibited the same inflammatory response to the meal. So the researchers then did some genetic testing, like, oh, so let's identify which genes are making these people respond differently. 
More weirdness. Uh, no consistent pattern was present. For 13,000 genes tested, the results were also different from person to person. So they weren't even able to say, oh, you've got this genotype. You've got this pattern of genes, and that's why you're a low inflammatory dude, right? That kind of stuff. They weren't able to do that. So no consistent inflammatory response, no real patterns they can sink their teeth into with, the, with all the genes that they looked at. So it says the study does not provide enough information to design customized nutrition plans. It basically just says people are different, but in a sense, we don't know why yet. <laughs> uh, so it does go on to say that, of course, there are lots of uh, personalized nutrition tests that are marketed to consumers so they can guide their diet. And again, here, this is a very top-end study saying we're not there yet. Right. We don't know. We can't look at that. And honestly, if you look at some of these companies like 23andMe, they'll say, listen, this is not medical advice. This is just information. So. so I thought that was interesting, some personal nutrition. And the last one, before we go to a break here, is about allulose. So if people aren't familiar, A-L-L-U-L-O-S-E. Something ends in O-S-E, of course, it's a, it's a carb. So allulose is in the spotlight as far as the added sugars deadline for food labels. So you're going to start seeing allulose in foods if you haven't already, everybody. So this is, let's see, by Keith uh, Nunes from Kansas City. Uh, the Food and Drug Administration's decision in April, this is the past April, of course, to use its discretion in allowing the ingredient allulose to be excluded from the total sugars declaration on food labels is, of course, in the spotlight. So consumers view the impact of sugar on their health as problematic. So people are demonizing sugar. Uh, it says the International Food Information Council Foundation. Uh, in 2019, they did a food and health survey, and consumers ranked limiting sugar as the number one change that they wanted to make in their diet. I think that's probably not too far off the mark. Um, Number three on their list was eating less carbs. So again, similarly, not just limiting sugar, but carbs overall. Uh, it says the FDA will begin enforcing the mandatory declaration of added sugars. So added sugars is a new category in the carb portion of a food label. And now they're enforcing it uh, as of January. So now, right, <laughs> already passed. So it says the latest data suggests that allulose is different from other sugars in that it's not metabolized by the human body in the same way as table sugar. And that's according to Susan Main, M-A-Y-N-E, PhD, director of the FDA's Center for Food Safety and Applied Nutrition. Uh, it says, allulose has fewer calories, produces only negligible changes in blood sugar and insulin, and does not promote tooth decay. So again, look for people to fall over themselves to try to sweeten foods with allulose, because if the feds are are allowing, you know, extra exceptions and loopholes for mm -hmm. allulose. People are going to use allulose, and it's only got a fraction of the calories of real sugar. It's not four calories in a gram, that's for sure. Um, I think it's like a tenth of that, but I, I'd have to look that up. And then I pulled up, if anybody's interested, the FDA source for this article. It's just an FDA brief. FDA allows the low-cal sweetener allulose to be excluded from the total and added sugar counts on nutrition facts labels and supplement facts labels. And the media inquiries, if you're interested, you can contact, look up Nathan Arnold uh, at the FDA. So just, I, I anticipate there's going to be a lot of health food, like protein bars and powders and stuff like that. They're just going to start using as much allulose as they can 
And you know, yeah. we'll have to see what it does to people. Does it give anybody kind of any kind of gastric upset, or is it just a great a great carb that actually fixes a lot of our concerns? We'll have to find out. All right, so let's go to break. We're going to come back, and I'm going to ask Phil, and I'll divulge some things. Uh, Ten things that you should probably communicate with your doctor about uh, <laughs> before she <laughs> calls the ambulance. So uh, we'll be back. Hello there, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, yeah, you know who this is. Uh, so I'm here to tell you about uh, Dr. Mike T. Nelson's uh, new book, uh, Why You Should Eat Keto. I don't do it because, I mean, look at me. Come on, I'm fabulous and I'm fantastic. Anyway, you should text uh, Keto ebook all in one word to 44222 to receive your free copy. Do it. Do it now. Hey listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh, you poor meathead, all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what. Uh, there is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote-unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, there's enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that, and uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single-digit royalty on the book, but that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it.
All right, guys, we're back. It's Phil and Lonnie, and we're going to talk about things to communicate with your doctor, like oddities, right, um, that you might have experienced and you wouldn't want a medical professional to misdiagnose in some way because it doesn't fit any type of norm. Um, let's start with one that affects, I think, every listener, Phil. What about, like, muscle pain and soreness that affects daily movement. I'm not even going to ask you if you've ever experienced that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I mean, we were talking about this the other day, me and uh, some of my lifters at 5.30 a.m. The weird thing about it is, uh, like, she works in the office as an IT person, and she's like, it's just weird that I'm always in pain from sitting and this and that, and I look around and my, my coworkers don't seem to be. <laughs> Um, and they don't train and she's, but the weird thing is, is like, even at our worst, we're better than them <laughs> physically. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's, that's a weird one to swallow. It's like, yeah, we might be in pain or are we just more attuned to it? I don't know. Um, and don't accept it. Like a lot of people, well, okay, I got low back pain. I'm done. You know, right. they're just done for life. Right. I can't train. I can't do this and that. But yeah, of course. I mean, and I think. In general, I know I do, and I think most people that have lifted a long time, we end up having a higher high pain tolerance. Um, so like a, a one to us is a four or five to somebody else, and so we're just always dealing with something. Yeah, aches yeah. and pains and, and this and that. Yeah, it's good so. to mention the scale, right? Yeah, because if you're going to say my pain is – I mean I think a lot of us with joint pain and stuff like that, especially after you've been at it for a while, you probably walk around in daily life like two on a ten scale. You're never a zero no. probably. No, no. So yeah, so your zero is actually a two. Yeah, you know, right. And, and it, so it just gets skewed. Yep, yep. <clears throat> Not so. to mention, of course, uh, muscle pain. You know, So like somebody on statin drugs might say, oh, I feel muscle pain. Listen, delayed onset muscle soreness can be so bad you can't even go up the stairs. You know, yes. like when your quads yeah. and your glutes are wrecked, you're leaning on the handrail, right? And I think a physical therapist might look at that and be like, oh, my God, you know, you need immediate attention. No, I did this to myself, you know. Yeah, it's and, okay. It'll be gone in a couple of days. Right, you know? right. And it's gone in three days. Probably max, yeah. Yeah, yep. so there's definitely there's definitely some of that going on, for sure. Um, in fact, uh, I, I was laughing about this months ago, but there used to be an ad on TV. I think it was an Advil ad, and a guy changes a light bulb, and the next day he's, they show him rubbing his shoulder like, oh, my shoulder's sore. I'm like, Jesus, man, from changing a light bulb? <laughs> yeah. Wimp, uh, you yeah. know? Doms from delayed onset muscle soreness from changing a damn light bulb. Yeah. Like you said, you know, yeah, it makes you almost weep for the sedentary person out there. Yeah. Um, And I should add to this um, blood enzyme levels, right? Because when you're sore, oftentimes those are going to coincide with things like creatine kinase or there's ALT and AST. There's a lot of enzymes that a physician might say, oh, my God, you're off the charts you know, you've got liver damage, you're, ha- you're having a heart attack. That actually happened. A friend of mine who was a, a, a martial artist, we were, we were martial arts guys together when we were young, and after decades off, he got, got back into it, like a three-hour workout. But he actually ended up with rhabdo. I mean, he way overdid it. Yeah, way did it. Yeah. And that's dangerous, of course, yeah. Yes. But, I mean, uh, CK by itself, with, without other, like, dehydration and comorbidities and stuff like that, you can get really high. And in and of itself, it's, you know, if it's spilling out of your wrecked lats and glutes and quads, that's 
that's not for the same reason, right? If you purposely did a lot of negatives or eccentric work, you're going to get sore as hell. Your CK is going to get real high. So think about it like um, an average person might be around 150 units per liter. Um, dude, I've been over 1,000. So, mm-hmm. you know, if a physician saw that, he'd be like, dear God, man, you know, what, yes. what tissue is destroyed? Um, now, to be fair to the physicians, a lot of them know that, of course, of course they do, that there are isoforms. There are parallel, it's like slight differences in these enzymes, depending what tissue that they're coming from, or, you know, like LDH is another one. Um, but if all you do is look at total levels and you're not getting these isoforms yeah, you could have a diagnosis that was – I've even had people say uh, they were turned away from the Red Cross. They're like, you have liver uh, damage, and we're afraid that you've got, like, hepatitis. You can't give blood. And he's like, I, I just squatted. You know, so then, of course, they just – they wait a week. They go back, and then they're normal, and then they – hopefully they can give blood if they're not put on some kind of, you know, blacklist. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah temporary. I mean, that's the thing with a lot of these things. The next one also, Phil, is temporary. Uh, you've talked about it, I think, last year. Uh, blood lipids can change, like your HDL and oh, LDL, yeah. right? Yeah. So, I mean, <clears throat> sometimes when you when you do I- extreme sports, weird changes are going to happen. Uh, I can tell you, back in the day when I was experimenting with pro hormones, all in that era and that kind of stuff, and my HDL would get low. It would get low. Yeah. I mean, guys who use, I've seen studies, guys who use um, Winstrol, stenozolol, the anabolic steroid. Uh, their HDL can go down to almost zero, zero. Like recommendations are usually 60 or higher. Even high androgen men are usually 40 milligrams per deciliter or higher. So to have it like four, (laughs) you can't go through life like that. And unfortunately, in fact, I think that's one of the things that happened to the the former uh, pro bodybuilder, Mike Matarazzo. As I remember, he had a lot of problems. um, And I, I really got the impression that you know, he was one of those guys always looked like he was in shape, you know, like almost contest ready. And the guys who stay like that year round, if they're on something like Winstrol all the time, you can't do that. Right. That's yeah. like the old school guys would do that, like a finishing med or something like that. And I'm not condoning this. right? I'm pointing this out. But it's important to know you're not completely screwed. Like literally within four to six weeks coming off of something like that, your HDL levels rebound enormously basically back to normal. So, and again, it's a temporary kind of thing with blood lipids, and it could be from any number of things. I mean, obviously, diet affects HDL and LDL, you know, uh, or if your triglycerides are high, um, you could take fish oils and and reduce those. I mean, temporary stuff, right? So, I mean, from your perspective, like, how how quickly do these things change and, and stuff like that? Well, and that was a big one. Like with me, when I went in and got mine checked, it was right after a meet. And I wasn't expecting – I have never tested high on my cholesterol. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's always been good. And I went in there, and it was bad. I mean, it was way bad. Yeah. And But it had been a while since I tested, and now I'm 40 freaking four or whatever. Yeah. And uh, it was – the big one was explaining to my doctor. She was like, oh, my God, we need you on statins now. We need this. And we, I was like, right. Right. Wait a minute. You don't understand. You know? Mm-hmm. I, I just got done with the meat. I'm eating three to four times what an average person would eat. And a lot of that is not good, you know, and is making them realize that. And she's like, oh, no, no, no. I was like, give me like four weeks. You <laughs> right. Know? You're right. <laughs> Let me show you what I can Let do. Let me show. You're right. Let me you show know, you. I talked her into that, and it was like, she's like, well, nobody can change more than 5% over a four-week period, blah, 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 blah. And, well, I did. 
Right. Know? That's the average Joe, though. <laughs> right. And I was like, yeah, you're not dealing with the average population here. Yep. So, you know, you're dealing with somebody that was way overdoing it to one end, well past what a normal person would. And then I'll come back. It's also realizing that you're dealing with somebody when they tell you they're going to change it, they're going to do it. Um, mm-hmm. you know, they're not just going to add a little broccoli in here and there. So I just totally swapped my diet around and added in a bunch of fish oils and, and oatmeal and clean foods and yeah, just reversed everything around the other way, just reversed everything in yep. like six weeks. Exactly. So. Yep. And the literature is <laughs> very supportive of that in, with various interventions. I mean, and she's right. I mean, normally you're talking about, you know, you might have a 10 or 15 milligrams per deciliter up or down in like your LDL or something, uh, because of mild dietary changes and, but again, we're talking about the guys that get sore when they change a light bulb, right? So it's, yes. it's the norms are not created for yeah. the extreme um, muscle sports in that way. And that's what the hard part. And you can't blame them because they don't deal with it. No, you right. Know, the average person they're dealing with is not us. No, our, our listeners yeah. are a rarity, right? Yes. For sure. Well, that comes up, brings up the next one. Uh, high blood pressure. Have you ever had high blood pressure? I have the low. The highest it's ever been is like what is the the, the first thing is like hypertensive. Mild hypertensive is one forty over yeah, ninety ish. Yeah, that's where it kind of goes into. I've never been like high. I'm lucky that way. Yeah. I don't know why. Well, but, and because I, I asked because, yeah, I mean you've gotten really heavy. You know, you've eaten yep. very abusively and gotten very. Yeah, and it, yeah, very it heavy. goes up, but like I said, it gets into that you know hypertensive area. Never like so. never. Yeah, extreme severe. Yep. Um, yeah, mine, mine, when I get up over 215 pounds, it's like a switch, and I'll go mild hypertensive too. I'm like 140 over 90, and the doctor's like, well, we need to watch this. And here's the concern. When, when we talk about like visiting your doctor, oftentimes the doctor has either uh, you know some tech with an electronic blood pressure cuff. Sometimes it doesn't even fit around your arm, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, well, that in itself, it, the cuff is too small. It's going to jack up the numbers, right? Yep. Um, maybe go get a thigh cuff or something, uh, but – Despite the measurement itself, the doctor isn't taking the blood pressure, you know, so one of the assistants, you know, is doing this. And what a lot of times they're lazy. And I, I'm saying this by experience, right? What what they do when they do it manually, they look at your number last time. And I know they do at the, at the Red uh, Red Cross as well. They'll look at your numbers last time and they'll, they don't want to vary much from that because it's already been done and you're probably similar. And so – you know, they let the mercury drop way too fast and they just kind of bolt, you know, right through it like a bull in a china shop. And it's like, oh, yeah, you're still hypertensive. You know, watch that. It's like I just watched that column of mercury. I watched the <laughs> systolic and diastolic numbers. You didn't even look, you know, um, because you're you're leaning too heavily on numbers from last time. And yeah. so once it gets entrenched, it might be like getting blacklisted at the Red Cross. And so far as that's true, I've only heard that through hearsay. But, um, yeah, th- then you're kind of stuck in this. And then now with insurance companies, I don't want to be labeled high risk because I'm hypertensive. Um, anyway, so, yeah, I mean, my blood pressure would go mild. And then I get down, you know, get under 210 or nowadays it's more around, you know, 200. Yeah, my blood pressure is like, you know, 117 over 68. It's a huge difference. And those kinds of swings are just not – you're not going to see that in average yeah. people. Um, we've talked about this one a lot, uh, body mass index. Um, mm-hmm. How high have you gotten, Phil? Have you gotten over 30? Oh, yeah. 
Oh, I'm over 30 right now, I think. Uh, <laughs> let me look. <laughs> let me look. Uh, just a second. It'll take me like a minute here. All right. I'll, I'll, um, I'll, I'll ramble for a minute. Mine's, mine's 29 right now, and I don't plan on getting any smaller than this. Right? Mine's gone 31. I've never been more than 31, though. Um, yeah. Again, weight for height, everybody. We're talking about kilos divided by height in meters squared. Right? You get the a highest, single number. The highest I've been is 39.7. Oh, Jesus, Phil. <laughs> And right now I am 36.6. Oh, my God. Yeah. So you make me feel good. I feel good about myself right now. I'm like 29. I'm I'm only borderline obese. You're like you're bordering severe obesity. Yep. I'm up there, man. I'm right in there. Well, and again, this will piss off everybody. Right. But I have I've had this happen to me myself personally. Right. High risk insurance. Because, you know, the automatic systems, everything's so automated these days. You know, if your blood cholesterol goes up, goes over the limit by one milligram per deciliter, or if your, or your BMI goes up, um, it, BMI, of, of course, is not body composition. Uh, Phil, me, our listeners, a huge amount of that BMI, of course, is muscle mass. I'm not saying we're 100% muscle mass and ripped to shreds. We're not. Yeah. But a huge portion of it is muscle mass. And that doesn't carry the same risks, inflammatory and other. In fact, I was just reading a paper the other day that people with enormous muscle mass, they dispose of blood sugar uh, better because you've got more of a gas tank to put it in. It's very interesting stuff. Um, but yeah, so um, here's now, here's, let me ask you this one. This is sort of related to being very heavy. Waist girth. Now, I have been in the past quite lean uh, but when you know when you squat a lot, I think you stretch out your abs a little bit. Or mm-hmm. I mean, God forbid, uh, I've I've never even um, worked out with someone regularly who used GH. But people with GH belly and stuff like that, like you can be quite lean. And that waist girth measurement is supposed to get at this very inflammatory marker of visceral adipose tissue, deep fat. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like I said, you could clearly see my abs. And when I would relax them. If you took my the waist girth at my belly button, right, at the navel, you're like, oh, your waist is like 35. And then I'm like, well, yeah. let me flex my abs. And I don't mean suck it in. I mean just sort of not, not stick out my gut. And, oh, yes. it's 29. It's like, yes. well, yeah. So, I mean, w- so in what state would you like to take my waist girth, right? Would you like yes. me to stand up straight and kind of slightly tense my abs or really let my gut go? Because I got a lot of muscle mass around there. Uh, anyway. No, that was a big. Both of those are were a big one with uh, like getting life insurance and things like that. Like oh, I was way mm. put onto a you know in the bad realm, and then they sent the the nurse on person to come and do the stuff. She's like, oh okay, you oh know, now good. your BMI your BMI makes sense and this and that, and so you had to fill out these forms and you know. Oh, so well, they see. They're starting to make some adjustments. Good, because uh, I can tell you. My insurance company, I'm going to say it, was State Farm, and the guy actually said, the irony here is, Lonnie, is um, I have to tell you to stop exercising so we can give you better rates, right? Because that exercise, the kind that you do is putting on too much mass and your BMI is too high. But ne- never did he say, can I send someone out with skinfold calipers? Yeah. You know? And that's a yeah, they sent somebody out and did all the testing, and so. See, good. Well, that's good. That's, yeah, gives me and you're hope. able to put in like a, a writer in your, you know, this guy trains hard. Yeah, type of thing. Yeah, but, some note. Yeah, God for God's yeah. sake, put something in the notation at the bottom. Yes, exactly. Because again, the automated so. systems they just put a little asterisk, a little star, like over. You're in this risk category. No. Yeah. Not. Yeah. Not body comp. 
Um, so. Well, let's uh, related to that. I was mentioning you the other day, actually, Phil. This past week in class, I'm teaching this big lecture hall class. You know, it's a time where you're on a stage and there's like, you know, eighty, hundred kids, whatever. Yeah. And I, this used to happen a lot when I was at big universities. But in my school, this doesn't happen a lot now. But I mentioned that we were talking about hydration, right? And I was talking about weight fluctuations, and I said, I know that some powerlifters they will gain and lose thirty pounds. Um, in you know a matter of days because they dehydrate they get on the scale and weigh in and then they blow back up and they didn't believe me dude they didn't the oh, students yeah. are like look at me incredulous i'm like, i said well first remember 30 pounds is only 10 percent of the weight of somebody who weighs 300 right so there's that we're talking about large mammals here yeah. uh but that i i get it nobody's saying that's healthy it's like what you used to say is there are some things even if temporary that you know high-end sports are not always about maximum health they're just not, no, you know. No, and there's nothing, there's nothing healthy about that. I mean, but it, it's just done. I mean, but I mean, it's done. It's it's done in high school at wrestling meets. I mean, yeah, I've got little high school kids that wear rubber suits and spit all the time. Yeah, yeah, I did that <laughs> oh, as a kid actually. Um, you know, and I think that's luckily it's becoming a little less prevalent. But yeah, I mean, no, I mean that's that's a lot. And like my last time doing it was my last, and I'm just too old. And it's definitely not safe. I mean, I felt my heart rate going way up. I was like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You start getting that dehydrated, and uh, or even the, you know, even the eating way, way up. You can't lie to yourself and tell us that's good for you, right? <laughs> you know, yes. even if it's only twelve weeks long. Um, at some point, you know, it's it's time to stop that. Yeah, you're you bloated. Know. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah. It's there's nothing. You don't feel healthy. You know, you feel like yeah. fluid overload. Yeah. Um, and that, that, that's a good point. So it's not just dehydrating for a meat or like after a 20-week diet. Jesus, I'd walk around 30 pounds lighter than I used to be, yes. you know. And that's, of course, what we were here talking about the other week too. So, yeah, there's lots of reasons for extreme weight fluctuations. Dehydration, rehydration, um, bodybuilder-level dieting that most people would never do. I mean, imagine the average Joe – Saying, I want you to come down from 25% fat to 4% four, four. Yeah. No, fat. It's happen. never going to happen. Yes. It, it calls yes. for ridiculous uh, discipline. Yes. Uh, so, yeah. And bloat, yeah, for sure. Um, mm -hmm. Number six is one that I wanted to mention was uh, urine output. So if you're on a very high-protein diet, you can pee more than double the average person every day. It doesn't dehydrate you. I mean, it would only dehydrate you if I if I withheld fluid at the mouth, but then I'm dehydrating you anyway. So, but the point being is, yeah, average urine output's like 1.2 liters a day or something like that. And I, when I've done a lot of my um, kidney function stuff, we, we'd collect urine for 24-hour periods. I mean, biology's messy. You got to do this. And uh, three and a half liters, you know, three, three and a half liters of pee. So the guys would have to come back for extra jugs because they're like, I filled up your jugs, man, you know, and I got to pee again. So, you know, they carry it around in like an insulated backpack kind of thing. But the point is, yeah, huge urine output. It doesn't mean you have freaking diabetes, you know, because a physician would say, oh, polyuria, polydipsia, you know, you're are you thirsty all the time. You're peeing too much. You got diabetes. No, yeah. no, I'm on a high protein diet, right? So. Or caffeine will make you urinate too, but neither protein nor caffeine in themselves clinically dehydrate anybody. So, you know, get over it. But yeah, and I don't know why a physician would know that unless you said, Doc, I'm peeing all the time. You would think that he would say, well, 
you know, are you on high protein, high coffee intake? Because a lot of our people probably are, right? Yeah. Um, so uh, that, that's a little bit of a weird one, but I've just noticed that from the lab. Mm-hmm. Um, what about body hair? Do you think power lifters and bodybuilders? Uh, I, I don't know if a doctor would say, oh, you have hirsutism, you know, because you're so hairy. Uh, but like bodybuilders shave, and it occurred to me mid-career maybe that a lot of this was not just to show the definition in the muscle, but because body hair is – if you're naturally really high testosterone, you have more mm-hmm. body hair, and it, it really becomes kind of gross. But I don't think powerlifters <laughs> think about it that way. Like you're not as pretty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not as often. No, I mean, I don't think there's as much worry. And like, what I was talking to Windler about this. I was like, why do you think so many strong people are bald? And it's like, well, it's pretty evident why they're bald. Yes, you know? right. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but, but uh, and pretty evident why we're hairy. Um, yeah, but I don't think as many. I'm, I don't think powerlifters worry about that as much. I mean, but also we don't have to go on stage and get naked and be much. able to see it. So, yeah, yeah, see yeah. everything. I mean. There's a reason. I mean, bodybuilders, you, you literally have to. Like, you would score less. Now, like, if if a powerlifter knew they would take 100 pounds off their total, they'd shave everything. <laughs> you know? Yeah, like glass. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it, it, it literally affects your sport That's as a bodybuilder. That's funny. Right. Hairy. So. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Of course, it doesn't. It's just one so. of those truths. Yeah, you might be hairier. And you're right. Actually, in um, – Again, talking about class in the classroom this last week, uh, we do this little game called Risco, and you kind of guess your risk of heart disease. And one of the categories is um, basically about like you know your HDL levels and cardiac risk. And the more points is worse. Okay, so the scale starts off with like zeros and ones for young women, uh, older women, like you know two, three, four kind of thing. Men now are at five, so they're already halfway up the scale just for being a dude. And then you're like, well, does it go beyond male? It does, not just with age. And you're going to find this funny. That's why I'm bringing this up. Bald male, you count against you even more. Bald, stocky male, maximum points against you. <laughs> and, and again, you're right. Is it obvious? It, it's a, it's a testosterone-related thing because it's going to drive down your HDL, your good cholesterol. And, you know, and that's the same stuff making you hairy and bald. Anyway, um, now, here's one. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but I, I remember talking to uh, Eric Serrano. Um, he's an MD in the Columbus area. Years ago, he said the number one problem he sees with people that um, use anabolics especially is when they come off, the depression can be really bad. So there's sort of some mania when people are on. You know, They're very up and energized and more happy sort of all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, not wildly manic, but, you know, just up. And then when they come off, they're badly depressed. And I remember a young guy, God, this was decades ago, uh, he had said that he was using uh, D-ball and stopped cold turkey. And he's just one of those guys, not a competitor, you know, these dabblers that – it seems like so many guys do this now or they're gramming it, which was unheard of, you know, decades ago. But he just stopped cold turkey and – and again, a lot of this is hearsay, but you know these are just stories you hear when you go live this lifestyle. And he said, "I was so I, I was so depressed. I w- he, he worked a night shift, and he's like, I'm standing there on the assembly line, bawling, and trying to hide it from people. Um, and he's like, and there I am, crying. I'm so depressed for no real mm-hmm. reason other than biochemistry, you know. Yeah. And I, but it kind of 
it, it made me sad for him. You know, I'm like, yeah. why didn't you can't can't you taper or something, man? Like what? Yeah. Yeah, don't do that to yourself. Yeah. Um, but have you ever seen anybody get depressed or mood changes in your gym or anything, or more yeah. than an average person, or no? I wouldn't say no. I wouldn't say. I th- if anything, I think a lot of people use the gym to to stop that. Okay. Um, to well, help them stay more even keel. You that's know a what good I'm point. Saying? Yeah, it is corrective. Uh, partly, isn't if you keep lifting, so, if you don't stop lifting too, right? Yeah. Yeah, and it's kind of like their their daily medicine, you know. It's to get the endorphin rushes and yeah. stuff like that. So yeah. yeah, yeah, but I'm sure hormone swings are going to affect your mood, you know, kind of thing. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, the last one on my list is just sort of a positive. This will make listeners feel like superheroes, but is bone density. Now, I don't think a doctor is going to look at your bone density unless he, he thinks you're osteoporotic or something. And I'm yeah. telling you, everybody, we are the opposite. So I learned how to use a DEXA unit, a dual X-ray absorptiometry machine, on myself and Fortress, actually. Those are the people I had around. Um, And um, my bone density was 99.5 percentile. So, I mean, ridiculously dense bones. And we got Fortress in there, 99.9. So, Phil, you're probably like Fortress. Like like the loads that you put on yourselves make your bones stupid dense, like – the opposite of osteoporosis. Like of the next hundred people you meet, you have denser bones than all of them. And so mm-hmm. I think that – and the reason I was uh, I was interested in learning how to use a DEXA was because I wanted to measure people's bone density that were on high-protein diets, right? Because a lot of times in the past, dietitians have said, oh, if you're on a high-protein diet, it increases calcium in your pee, you know, calciuria, uh, and that's leached from your bones. And I'm like, no, there's no way. And then later, researchers like Best Dawson Hughes and – and layman, and there's a couple of groups said, no, I, there are certain amino acids that might increase calcium absorption, so you get more in your blood, and that's why it's in your pee. It's not leaching from your bones. And I mean, God, Phil, you and I know there's no way high-protein yeah. diets weaken your bones. Or People like you, me, or anybody else, especially guys like you with seven, 800 pounds on your back, you're going to break your back. Yeah. Yeah. So that's absurd. So I knew better. So I'm like, what about some real outcomes measurements? And, um, yeah, stupid dense bones. So if you're a listener to this show and you've been lifting for years, heavy lifts, you know, let's say you're regularly using more than two and a quarter, and that's going to be a lot of people, mm-hmm. you are um, explosive lifts, heavy lifts, yeah, they're uh, very good for your bones. So that's the list. That's ten things that you are different probably, or you might bump into someone who is different uh, from the way that your doctor would identify as normal. Because I think almost by definition, we're trying to be not normal, right? I mean, you're yeah. trying to be somehow better than average. So, Well, that's a big one. As far as doctors, just finding one that will sit down and listen to you. <laughs> oh, that's – yeah, we talked about <laughs> that before. You, so. That's a good point. But, yeah, finding somebody yeah. – you got to be part of your own medicine. I fired doctors yeah. before, so to speak, oh, right? Yeah. When they won't yeah. listen and, you know, like the one said, oh, you have diabetes – I'm like, no, no, I, I don't have diabetes. Like, yeah. he wouldn't even do, do a blood draw. And I'm like, <laughs> or one of them, yeah, I went in. I'm like, I think, you know, I, am I low T? And mm-hmm. he's like, well, are you completely impotent? I'm like, no. He's like, well, then that's not your problem. I'm like, you're already doing a blood draw for lipids. Can't you just run? Run? A, you already took the blood. Like, run the test. No, nope, you're not completely impotent. You know, your T levels are fine. I have, like, fired I guess you're fired then because what you're not even listening to me or even looking, you know. Yeah. So I'm willing to pay for it. Do it. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm the client. Exactly. Yeah. So that's why, yeah, you're right. It's good to find a doctor who's into like uh, – if you're a guy, like somewhere on, on his write-up, he says that he has a focus on men's health you know, or something mm-hmm. like that. Just like a woman might go to a, a OBGYN. You know, you can find a physician that's interested in men's health and then he's not going to be um, – I don't know. Somebody who ignores you and I don't know misdiagnoses you and doesn't listen to you. you know, yeah. so. All right. Well, that's it, everybody. So we, again, that we thought we good. would yep talk about that before it goes cold. If you are going to Columbus at the Arnold, um, maybe we'll see you there. We're going to be milling around, maybe at some different booths or giving out some T-shirts or some swag or something. So I'll try to announce some times of where we're going to be and what. So oh, I love it. it. So perfect. I guess. All right. Later. Hey listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store. One for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry. And they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store. Uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, The stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding. Um, Please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.